Hey, it's Greg Brady. Thanks for checking out the Toronto Today podcast on Monday, November the 8th. A brilliant start to the week. We talked about the New York City mayor, and you're like, what's Toronto got to do with New York City? Well, New York is America's biggest city, and we're Canada's biggest city, and they've got a mayor-elect that says, I want to get masks off kids. I want to see them smile again, and here's how we're going to do it as well by following the science. I sure found it refreshing, and I talked about it out of the gate. Sportscaster Mark Hebsher talking about Aaron Rodgers and what we saw Friday and so much blowback coming for Aaron Rodgers. Some you can make the case he brought on upon himself. Some you can make the case he's pointing out a lot of hypocrisy about COVID. More about the restrictions and protocols than vaccinations and vaccines themselves. That's for sure. We talk about the tragedy in Houston, Texas, at Travis Scott concert on Friday night that got well out of hand and uh, created tons of tragedy. And that tragedy is still being accumulated. Drake was at that concert as well. And he's already being sued, as is Travis Scott, by a couple fans over there that were seriously injured. We get the latest on that from Houston. That and much, much more on our Toronto Today podcast. Stay with us. And thanks for finding us as well. Here we go. You want my opinion on uh, kids and masks, you're going to get it right now. Mayor-elect of New York City, Eric Adams, spoke yesterday with CNN, uh, with uh, with Dana Bash, and he talked about the mask mandate for the city's youngest residents being dropped if scientific data supports it. I'm going to play you the clip in a sec, but here's what I like about it. Here's what I want from a politician, and here's what I think we demand from each other then we've kind of let the politicians sort of skate by on this. This is new for all of us the last, what, 20 months. When we lead, and, and the, the lead story is about the border reopening, and it you, you got to pinch yourself now to realize you'll be able to get to go over again. You'll be able to do some of the things you used to do. It's been you know so long for me. We're talking now 26 months since I last crossed the land border. Uh, we flew to Florida uh, early, mid-February, when we were starting to get some semblance that uh, COVID might be this or it might be that. And it was on our minds, but I think we were in a proper window. Many people traveled during, say, the kids' school during March break, and that just became the proverbial poop show when they did that. Um, but w- the idea that all of this has happened still ends up being surreal. There's pinch-me positive moments in your life and and things that we're getting back when you go out to dinner, when you're at the Leafs-Bruins game on Saturday night, when you're seeing friends you haven't seen in a long time. Those are just awesome things. And it's occurred to me how some of this has become really normalized for kids. There's two things we got to get to, to me, before I let you hear what the New York City mayor says. And that's we'll finally judge COVID to be endemic rather than a pandemic by the powers that be. We're going to gloss over a lot about what we did and didn't do, what was right and what was wrong, what was overreactive and what wasn't. And you'll hear people say, and you'll get this from the political side of the fence. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what party. Okay, we've got a uh, we've got a provincial government that leans towards the right. We have a federal government that leans towards the left. But you can make the case, and I would, that they're uh, they're for the most part centrist actions when it comes to COVID. Some have been utterly ridiculous. And some looked and even at the Ford government's ludicrous anti-science lockdowns of, of things we could have done outside in April and May and thought nobody else is doing that. Like even the most left-leaning 
governors in the United States aren't aren't touching this. Even the most socialist countries in uh, in in Europe, okay, Scandinavian countries like Sweden and Norway would never think to close ski hills and golf courses and tennis courts. It made no sense. Um, so we're going to play this game, aren't we? Well, we made the best decisions we could at the time. You're going to hear that a lot when all this is over. I'm not buying it. I won't, I won't forget. I'm not going to forget. I won't let you forget. The worst offenders making the worst decisions need to be talked about, need to be referenced, okay? And I would say that that's true. Look, it's sad to see uh, anti-vaxxers doing what they do. I'm going to talk uh, with legendary sportscaster Mark Hebsher about Aaron Rodgers in, in a few minutes here before bottom of the hour. And I think I've become less judgmental since COVID started, okay? And I've become, and, and I've never been a judgmental person anyway. You do what you want to do. I do what I want to do. We all meet together in the middle. Like we all, you know, follow laws, observe general, you know, the, the mores of society, and we leave each other alone. I don't get in your business and you don't get in mine. But, and, and when it comes to vaccines for kids, I know, I don't feel out on an island, but I would say that I would encourage, get your kids vaccinated if they have real risk factors. Of course you should do that. Oh, we shouldn't talk about that. Well, why not? Your doctor would, your pediatrician would, your teacher would, okay? Uh, and And ask a lot of these questions. I didn't hesitate to get myself vaccinated. I told my parents, chop, chop, get vaccinated. We all did did all that lifting and did what we were supposed to do here. And I will listen now with a lot more empathy with regard to, I would call them not resistant parents, but hesitant parents when it comes to vaccinating a perfectly healthy five and six-year-old. And I do know this. I do know this. If if you had planned on man, if you had, if you're disappointed that the provincial government hasn't mandated that four and five year old and six year olds, I guess we got to start with five, five to 12. If you're disappointed and devastated and angry, even, um, even though you, you've got every, every ability soon, we hope to get your kid vaccinated, but you're angry that your neighbor's not vaccinating his five year old. We got bigger problems than we realized. We, we do. We have to have some sense of understanding and empathy then it comes around to the masks. And yesterday, the incoming mayor of New York City, that's not an easy job. Okay? Ask, uh, ask you know, Ed Koch. Ask David Dinkins. Ask, yeah, that guy, Rudy Giuliani. It cracked him up nice and good. Eric Adams told Dana Bash on CNN yesterday he wants to see the end of the mask mandate. My kingdom for a politician. It doesn't have to be John Tory. Oh, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? A mayor of a major city actually taking a stand and saying, I want to accomplish a goal that gets things back to normal. That's not about vaccine rates and a clinic here and let's have a shopping mall clinic here and let's have it outside of school here. And the urgency to vaccinate the five to 11 year olds that wasn't there for the 12 to 17. Hell, it wasn't even there for his own employees in the city. Here's Eric Adams explaining to Dana Bash on CNN yesterday on State of the Union why this is so important for kids to get the damn face masks off. Let's follow the science, but I hope so. I think part of the development and socialization of a child is that smile. Uh, I cannot tell you, uh, I look for that smile when I go visit schools. Not being able to see the smiles of our children, I believe it has a major impact. And not only that, not being able to identify the child. I walked past my brother the other day who had on a mask. 
So I think it's imperative. If we can find a safe way to do it, I look forward to getting rid of the mask. But it must be done with the science that we're not going back to turning our city and closing it down. Amen. On all those counts, science-based, don't shut the city down, don't lock them down. It hurts certain people. It sure didn't hurt others. And let's get kids back to where they can see each other's smile, where adults can see other kids' faces. Let's get back there. Again, can you imagine a politician saying that today in Toronto, in Ontario? I, that's all I want to hear. I want to hear that you're dedicated to that goal. That feels like it's, a, it's a, such a stretch now. But to me, that's a mayor. And that's leadership. And that's setting a goal and giving optimism and not being afraid to be bold and brave. What are we striving for as parents? Normal existences for our kids. I've said this for weeks and months on this station and probably, you know, down at the community mailbox and, uh, and at soccer games with parents. All, uh, all, I could do this forever and I'll, I'll be okay. I don't want to, but I could do it. What I want is the time back for my kids. I want the time back for a normal high school existence for a kid that's almost halfway through his high school years and hasn't known any semblance of normalcy and couldn't even grade uh, graduate grade eight properly. I want it for my kid who's in grade eight now who's got seven months left of elementary school and then goes to high school, okay? We have to, have to get this pushed around to where we understand what the virus is and what it isn't and what we're not able to do, what we, what we never were able to do. And nobody wants to admit that they were wrong. I will. You will. But we're not getting that from, from our political leaders, are we? Hey, what'd you get wrong? Tell me what you got wrong. And you don't get any answers. We got to get to 90%. We got to get, we got to use your kids and we got to get to 90%. What happens when we get to 90%? They never tell us. Really quick, let me give a minute here and uh, give a congratulations to a neighbor uh, just down the hallway here. Uh, it was written about in the Toronto Star, and I didn't realize it, but obviously John Derringer works the same hours as I do. And uh, he celebrated his 5,000th show on Q107. Unbelievable run. John has been a such a welcoming, positive force for my existence here. Okay, I see him uh, and uh, I get to visit with him most uh, mornings. But what a phenomenal human being. One of the good ones. And it's worth mentioning that uh, most people don't spend 5,000 shows in one place. But he's starting this week with a week of special shows. A 10-time Canadian Music Week Radio Personality of the Year. And, uh, you know, he's got his problems, right? I mean, he's a lifelong Maple Leafs fan, so there is that. I mean, the suffering that I see that poor human being go through, what can I say? But I wanted to give a shout-out to him and Ryan and John. They do radio the right way, and I've seen it also. They treat people the right way. I've said this before. You can't really know people now anymore because of their social media profiles and et cetera, et cetera, and there is an element of virtue signaling. The people that play the nicest are often kind of a kind of nasty business behind the scenes. The people that you're not sure if they're polarizing or not end up being the most wonderful human beings. John checks all the boxes for being a wonderful human being, and I wanted to give him that shout out. He's in the company, and obviously I see him every morning, but uh, just a massive, massive figure, an icon of uh, Toronto radio and morning radio. So congratulations to John on not just his longevity, but the fact that he ain't mailing it in. Guy ain't licking the stamp and and not bringing it every morning. Uh, and uh, I, I see the passion he approaches his job with. It's rather remarkable. 
Okay, the border reopens today, 20 months. I don't know what your initial thought was when it closed. First of all, everything felt surreal. Like everything in March of 2020 felt incredibly surreal. I don't know when things started to feel normal. We got really tired of... uh, (laughs) We got really tired of you know spending time with each other, I think, in our own homes. I felt bad for the people who lived alone. I felt bad for the people whose relationships with their kids or their parents or their, or their spouses were kind of fraying a little bit. Um, lots of board games, lots of cooking, lots of walking. And my recollection is also uh, we thought, well, you know, maybe by fall we'll be crossing borders again. Maybe by fall things will be normal. Well, we're well past fall and it's over a year later. But that day did arrive today. Uh, She's in Buffalo, New York right now. We've got great team coverage on the television side. And Morgan Campbell joins us now on Global News Radio 640 uh, Toronto. I know you were up early. Uh, This is a bit of an adrenaline rush of a story to cover. You're seeing some pretty happy, relieved people. Oh, my gosh. It's actually been absolutely incredible to cover this story. You know, people are so happy that they're able to, you know, get out to those vacation properties again i mean one lady i spoke to i think she said she counted all the days and it was like 183 days you're seeing a lot of people towing boats and rvs and you've got you know cars that are packed right up um people are looking to come down here for you know not just an overnight trip but you know six months uh, we're hearing a lot of six month long trips those snowboard birds uh, heading south I wondered about that, Morgan, is you're probably seeing more people there going on long term outings. Maybe it's the vast majority of people, not just say like a 60 40 split as opposed to day trips or overnight trips. Those because of the PCR test requirement. Um, I, I think there's a lot of people, you know, no pun intended, pumping the brakes on that. And, and they might wait a little bit longer to see if the Canadian government, um, you know, drops that requirement. You're seeing people going down almost for for the winter or for months and weeks on end, aren't you? Absolutely. These are longer, longer trips. Um, but I did meet a couple of people who were who were going across to do a little bit of shopping and visiting family. I mean, for people who have been separated for this long, the, you know, PCR test that you have to get to come back is really a small price to pay um, when you haven't seen your loved ones for so long. And we're seeing that a lot in a lot of these, you know, border towns. Mm-hmm. Windsor and uh, and here where I am at uh, Buffalo, New York, but we also have, you know, Fort Erie. A lot of people cross this border all the time just to spend time with family. And that's been that's been stopped for this. But the rapid uh, that the PCR test is definitely a sticky situation at this point. We're talking it varies in price from, you know, 150 to 300 dollars in some cases. And what we actually found out today which was quite interesting is they are so they want Canadian tourists so bad in this little town called Elginville. They they have a, a ski hill and it's definitely a winter resort town. They're actually opening a clinic for three days a week to offer free tests to Canadians to come. So it may be worth, if you're listening, it may be worth actually checking where you are going and checking into potentially being able to get a free test because they are expensive. One fifty. Uh, $150 is, is a lot of money just to, to come back into into the country. I wondered about that. You make a great point because, yeah, the, then there's the art of uh, the art of negotiating somewhat. If, if businesses, if hotels or resorts are able, it's probably not going to work, you know, at a Buffalo Sabres game or a big concert or whatever or a shopping mall. But you just never know. Right. It's worth the ask. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's really important, too, that people know that children under 12 who cannot be vaccinated will be required upon arrival back home, back into Canada to quarantine for 14 days, regardless of their test results. So I think it's important to point that out to parents, right? If you're eager, if you're an eager beaver ready to, you know, get across the border and and do some shopping or visiting friends or family, um, it could end up costing you, you know, a couple of weeks in vacation time to stay home with your kids. So I think that the, the most important takeaway here is know what you're getting yourself into. Know where you can find the PCR test. Have your travel documentation ready. Um, and that's not just your passport. You know, make sure you have your vaccination status printed off and be prepared to answer questions about why you're coming into the U.S., how long you're staying and what your vaccination status is. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I do wonder today, you know, great weather, great day for driving. Uh, you know, I think we all look around and think, OK, it, you know, if we were getting two feet of snow on us, it would be less busy. But at the same time, I wonder if border officials are thinking it's going to be like this every day this week or is there just going to be a massive uptick today? W- what are they telling you? Oh, they are definitely prepared um, for for an influx in travel. Let's keep in mind here, they've been closed for, you know, since March of, of uh, 2020. So, you know, it's it's been um, it's been very, very quiet here. Mm-hmm. So they've actually ramped up staffing. Um, they have a number of the of the the tool, the kiosks open for people to come through and they're actually getting people through quite quickly. Now, at five o'clock in the morning, when I arrived, a much different scene, you could see the cars lined up down the bridge. Um, and I was told by the border agents I was sleeping at 12 at midnight but i was told you know the canadians were were lined up eager to cross at 1201 so it's it definitely there's that sense uh, among the border agents of of normalcy returning and uh for crossing a border honestly people seem so happy even the agents are smiling we're not even seeing a lot of people even um you know being brought off to the side and and, and much, you know, searching going on. People are mm-hmm. showing up. They've got their documentation ready to go. And uh, they're definitely running a well-oiled machine here. Oh, I <laughs> they bet. definitely brought the extra staff in, for sure. Morgan Campbell, our guest uh, from Global News. Now, for l- last thing, I hope your friends have uh, left you alone and been respectful, not asking you to make a target run for them or pick them up something from, <laughs> you know, Crate and barrel or something like you don't have time. You're a journalist. You're working hard. You don't have time to run a bunch of errands for a bunch of friends that haven't been able to cross border shop. I hope you let people know that. Oh, well, I would pick something up for you, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, it was so interesting not to get too personal on the radio. But last night we went to uh, a restaurant. My camera guy, Robbie and I, great guy, Robbie is. And we sat down and there was a Buffalo Bills game on. Correct. And we were just like. We look, we're looking around, and it was like we stuck out that we we did not belong. We weren't wearing jerseys, and it was like it was actually quite remarkable to see what mm. you know just appeared just to be a normal night, you know. And let's keep in mind too the impact that uh, tourism, that lack of tourism, has had. Like when we were out in Buffalo last evening, a lot of restaurants were closed up on Sunday, and it's just because they just don't have. The, the the traffic anymore right with the pandemic and and people people uh, not stopping for something to eat after after crossing the border so it was actually kind of hard to find a decent uh, a decent place to eat that was actually open um, for us so I think that kind of puts 
puts it into perspective. Yeah, there's going to be a ton of that supply and demand, and, and they're counting on all of us. Uh, and, and you know this as well as I do, all the American businesses, the mayors there, the Congress people there, they want the PCR test gone because they do think that'll limit the day trips or the weekend trips for sure, right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, when you when you take into when you take it kind of all into perspective, like the fact that some areas are offering free mm. PCR tests just to entice people to come says something. Yeah. And, you know, that message is loud and clear that that you are worth, uh, you know, you're worth giving that 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 uh, free test to because we need your money and, and the economy needs the money, especially border towns like Buffalo, you know, like yeah. uh Detroit, even if you're if you're in Windsor, um, crossing over Alexandria Bay, if you want to head east. Right. So these are places where a lot of times people are crossing um, on a on a nearly, you know, daily or weekend basis. Yeah. So it's been it's been tough. And it's and you could see that last night. You know, the fact that you could walk down the street and there was hardly anybody out on a Sunday night when the Bills were playing, I think also says something. So yeah. I'm not I'm not surprised to see some of these areas offering free tests. Well, they did lose and only scored six points, so maybe they were all hiding <laughs> under blankets at home, whimpering softly you to themselves. The it's po- I know that fan base <laughs> almost too well. Morgan, thanks yeah, very much. The, yeah, yeah, the fans cleared out pretty darn quick, I'll tell you. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Yeah, I, be, I bet it did. I, they've been frustrated for many, many years in a row. Yeah. Thank you for doing this. And, and uh, like I said, enjoy the day. Beautiful weather. And, and you're seeing people that are exuberant and great stories. And it's great to hear Absolutely. that kind of positivity. Thanks for this. Yeah, it was fabulous. Thank you for having me. Oh, you were great. Morgan Campbell uh, joining us on uh, Toronto Today. Cases went up over the weekend. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that next uh, with Colin Furness, uh, epidemiologist, and he's kind enough to uh, make time to join us from uh, University of Toronto. I enjoy our conversations. Thanks for making the time for me and our listeners. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Um, cases, well, what we're seeing, I think this is really interesting, right? Because obviously in the uh, in, in the spring, third wave, especially, uh, Dr. Furness, uh, big cities and essential workplaces seem to be driving uh, the, the numbers and the concerns about ICU and hospitalization. Some of the data seems to suggest there's more rural, smaller towns that are not vaccinated near as well as, say, a Toronto or Ottawa. It, are, are, it, it, anecdotally, is that making sense to you? And when you see that data, does that make you think, well, it's not the big cities and the huge crowds driving a lot of this? Well, vaccination rates around the province vary a lot by region. Mm-hmm. It's not just that it's high in cities and low elsewhere. So I'm not sure that actually explains it. Um, but what we do know is that every place in the province has schools, primary schools. That's the big biome or reservoir or, or, or place that COVID can go. And so I think that that's more of an equalizer, I think, than we've, than we've actually had in the past. So I think, I think that's going to be a main reason right there. But there's also a, I mean, there's a seesaw effect, I think, of, and we see it in so many different geographies, of complacency um, that, that comes from having done a good job in the past and then getting caught flat-footed for Delta. So the prairies were like that. There's, there's no question. New Brunswick was like that. British Columbia. Columbia was like that. And I think parts of Ontario are like that, that they didn't actually get hit hard. And that means that with, you know, good news around low case counts in Ontario, there's been complacency. And complacency means things like mass compliance start to fall. And when you've got schools as a way for for COVID to spread very easily, I think that's a 
that's a difficult combination. I think it is too. I, I, but I also think I, I look at Toronto or Peel or, or what Ottawa went through. Ottawa really went through it in the second wave where the communities, I think, get bruised up a little bit and there, there ends up being uh, a greater knowledge because uh, we still have those scars about how bad it was. So maybe we risk mitigate a little bit differently. To your point, when I think about, you know, my parents live outside of London, Ontario, and I think, you know, though they're vaccinated, though they, <laughs> they've been hiding from everybody for 20 months, I think there are people headed back to hockey arenas. And I don't know how vociferously they're checking vaccination statuses there or, or people wearing masks at their nephew's hockey game. Th- th- like those are the communities. And we're seeing those rising percentages. I've seen them hastings. County, North Bay, Perry Sound, Sudbury's on fire right now. We are seeing both those things, aren't we? I think we are. It's it's really unfortunate, and of course, it's timed with weather getting colder and people moving indoors. So we've got, you know, we do have a perfect storm in that sense of mass compliance slipping and it being well winter-ish and, and moving indoors. Um, the other piece, of course, and we've got to call it. Ontario is not treating COVID like an airborne pathogen. Yeah. So we don't have workplace regulations. I don't want to close restaurants. I want to add HEPA filters. But there's no policy in place to do that. And there's no plan to do that. Uh, and that's unfortunate. We could be a lot smarter. Really, we could be a lot smarter. Anecdotally, when you go into, I, I was at a pharmacy last night. I won't mention the name of it, but it's it's like a, an absolute shield of plexiglass. It's like talking to somebody uh, or watching somebody in a in a television show talking to somebody in prison and putting your hand up against it. And I'm scanning the items still through. When that happens to you, when you go in those places, is it is it maddening to you that that those companies and businesses think the plexiglass is doing very much? Well, the plexiglass can help or hurt depending on where, where it goes. Certainly, if you've got a retail clerk who's getting breathed on and sneezed on a lot, I think it could be helpful. But I agree, it's, it's a problem when we assume that that's all we need to do. Um, mm-hmm. I'm analyzing data from an occupational group right now where there's some of them have plexiglass and gaps and some of them have a completely different airspace. And the plexiglass should work if this were droplet. And you, the, the difference is stark. The difference is absolutely stark. And you, when you look at this physical setup, airborne is the only way to explain it. There's, there's no wiggle room there. So there's this reality that we're still denying. And the Ontario Science Table is not stepping up they're not pushing. They're not saying we need to call this airborne. And so provincial policy, including our chief medical officer of health, are actually part of the problem here. I, I want to get to some of the things, Dr. Furness, that we should tighten up. You mentioned uh, the airborne pathogen. It's, it's something I'm sure I've been talking about for at least 12 or 13 months on this radio station. But I would bring up, uh, do we have things that are simply for theater purposes now? If you're going to a restaurant and you're fully vaccinated and you go through the whole protocol of showing them that you are the idea of sitting and, and eating and drinking for an hour and then getting up and putting a mask on to walk 12 feet to the bathroom and back or or a, or being fully vaccinated, going to a gym and putting it on after <laughs> running on a treadmill for five miles and then, you know, walking another 12 feet. Are those the kind of silly thing? Can we get past those things and give that back to people and hope that their diligence grows in terms of wearing masks in other places? That's a tricky question. You know, I think there's the part of the absurdity of, yes, putting on that mask to walk the 12 feet, as you say, is you're actually demonstrating mindfulness to the people around you and saying, yes, this is a little artificial in a way, but I am paying as close attention as I can or at least doing what I can. So there might be some benefit in that theater of just promoting mindfulness because the alternative is to say, well, we don't have masks to sit at the table. We don't need to have masks to go to the bathroom. So we don't need to have masks to go in. So I don't need a mask to go to the store. Definitely don't need a mask in the stadium. 
and and you end mm-hmm. up with a slippery slope effect. So uh, you know, I don't think there's an easy answer because your 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 point of the absurdity absurdity does not help. It certainly doesn't help people feel like they're they're doing the right thing. So it's 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 tricky either way. I I think about that. I think what you said there is so bang on. And then I think about. Um, the average person, and I would say like anybody listening to our conversation right now is more sort of quote unquote uh, in the know than someone that that, you know, isn't reading papers, isn't watching newscasts at night, isn't listening to, to smart people like you. So I remember seeing this in the spring. I'd walk through the park when we absurdly closed playgrounds for a day and we said, well, no golf, no tennis. No, we've been waiting all spring to get our grandparents outside, all that stuff. And then I saw I saw parents masking up kids a lot more at the playground in April and May when the weather started to get really hot. And I thought to myself, uh, maybe they believe that the province said, hey, it's not safe to be outdoors. We were wrong about this just because of guidelines and regulations. There's an element of that, too, isn't there? There is. It's really hard to manage public messaging. It takes a lot of effort to do good public education. And at the same time, the science has been changing. And Mm -hmm. so all the things that we invested in in educating people in in 2020, a lot of that had to go out the window. Well, some people heard the first messages and that's kind of all they heard. And so you've got a real double whammy of this difficulty in messaging and education and trying to get people to unlearn some of the things that we were saying that really didn't make sense. I know you wrote about this uh, this morning on, uh, on on Twitter. You mentioned talking about health care mandates and, uh, you know, you and me and many others, thousands of others would have been really disappointed, not surprised uh, that the province didn't come through and say, of course, we need you to be vaccinated if you're working in a healthcare environment. Of course, that's the bare minimum. There are lots of places we could debate healthcare. We shouldn't be debating. You you suggest job reassignment would go a long way towards reducing, as I'm quoting you now, the polarizing conflict here and would probably persuade many. Was that the route to go as opposed to uh, you lose your job completely? You lose it like like putting you on some kind of furlough as uh, until we can get you back is better than just going you're in or you're out. Well, I think so, because I think when you put a gun to people's heads, you create martyrs, you create polarization. And what we see in Ontario right now are labor unions protesting vaccine mandates. And, you know, there's the same labor unions that have filed grievances around unsafe work conditions. So unions are in a difficult position. They're trying to protect their members. They're Mm -hmm. trying to protect them from COVID. But then they have to turn around. I think they feel they have to turn around and protect their members from what feels like um, undue control by the employer. So COVID becomes the proxy for a much more fundamental struggle of for control between management and unions which is ultimately what defines that relationship that struggle for control and that's to me that just moves the debate into a very absurd territory that that unions are advocating for danger for their (laughs) members in order to be in opposition and their natural opposition to management's efforts to control that's that's a mess i mean that to me that's that's the ultimate absurdity and i i don't say that to blame unions they're actually in an impossible situation but we, we could avoid that. Mm. We could avoid that by not threatening the membership, by doing things differently. And it feels like they're, yeah, it feels like they're going to bat for the two to five percent that are not complying and not for the 95 percent. Uh, I think we're, we saw that with the TTC last week. Um, one more on that when it comes to lowering the temperature and not fanning the flames. That's what I worry about with uh, the, the any kind of suggestion about mandating vaccinating five to 11 year olds. I'm all for it in the workplace. I'm all for it all over the place. But I think you want a battle. Oh, that's really tricky, right? To tell a parent your five year old fully healthy can't go back to school unless they're vaccinated. I, I you know, I, I knew that was going to be a powder keg. I'm a bit relieved about it, but I know, you know, you might disagree and say, nah, it's something we should have done. Well, 
here's what I think about that. There's there's nine uh, currently nine vaccines that you're required to have to attend school in Ontario, and you don't. I mean, when I say required, you can you can as a parent decline that, and you actually have to then go and ed, uh, attend education sessions. So we make it inconvenient, and we use it as an opportunity to connect to say, here's why, mm-hmm. here's what you need to know, and that's valuable. So I actually would add. COVID to the list of mandatory vaccines, not with a gun to the head thing that says your kid can't come to school without it, but to but to add it to the usual process to say, if you want to decline vaccines for your kids, here's the hoops you need to jump through. And some people will jump through those hoops, and many will look at it and say, uh, maybe the vaccine's not so bad, maybe I don't want those hoops. So I think that actually that actually is a model for the way forward, right? Which is you're not, it's not a gun to the head, but you're trying to engage and you're trying to give people a sense of agency. I mean, ultimately, that's what diffuses polarization. If people get have a sense, they've got a choice. They can choose inconvenience. They can choose convenience. Leave it up to them. Agree with all that. Hey, thanks very much for making the time. I really appreciate it. It's great, great information and great insight for our listeners. Thanks again. My pleasure. Thanks. I often see this happen, and it happens in uh, in our business for sure. Maybe it happens in your business. This person ripped somebody, and somebody got ripped, and I'm going to rip it. And sometimes it's just it's valid, constructive criticism, and it's seeing what you see. Uh, a rip almost seems like like libel or slander. Terry Bradshaw's get well. He ripped Aaron Rodgers yesterday. I don't know so much about that. This looks like valid criticism to me. I'll let you hear what he said on Fox NFL Sunday about Aaron Rodgers, who came out and, and had a very public militant stance on the COVID-19 vaccine on Friday during an interview. He tested positive last week. This is one of the most recognizable superstars the NFL's had in the last 15 years. Certainly a top five, top 10 all-time quarterback. You can make those arguments. Terry Bradshaw said this, the four-time Super Bowl champion, about another future Hall of Famer. I give Aaron Rodgers some advice. It would have been nice if he'd have just come to the Naval Academy and learned how to be honest. Yeah. Learned, learned not to lie because that's what you did, Aaron. You lied to everyone. I understand immunized. What you were doing was taking stuff that would keep you from getting COVID-19. You got COVID-19. Ivermectin is a cattle dewormer. Sorry, folks. That's what it is. We are a divided nation politically. We're a divided nation on the COVID-19, whether or not to take the vaccine. And unfortunately, we've got players that pretty much think only about themselves. And I'm extremely disappointed in the actions of Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, lots to unpack from Friday. Some of the stuff he said about some of the requirements and the protocol, I actually agree with Aaron Rodgers on, but dead wrong in terms of where he is at with the vaccine. Our next guest, a legendary sportscaster in uh, this city and across the province, currently has a Friday morning podcast uh, where uh, now and then, now and then, it gets uh, the the temperature rises there as well. He is Mark Hepsher. It's great to have you on. When you hear that comment from Terry Bradshaw, as I said, Mark, that doesn't feel like a rip to me. That's simply Terry Bradshaw laying it out there and giving an opinion. Well, he's ripping him, though, because well, let's face it, anytime you criticize someone, if you really, really criticize them to the point where there's no going back, then you're ripping the guy. Uh, and But it's justifiable in this case here. I mean, look, if this was an individual sport and this was Novak Djokovic, nobody would care except for Novak Djokovic's um, you know, posse um, entourage. Mm-hmm. But this is the Green Bay Packers. So you know, not only his teammates and the fans, but the tradition and history of the Green Bay Packers. You think Aaron Rodgers is sitting home last night going, oh, I'm glad my team lost. They're going to want me even more. No, his teammates are going, this guy might cost us the NFC championship, home field advantage, 
and our futures as well. And so, you know, it's extremely selfish, really. And Bradshaw is correct. And, and I don't see any recourse here. I mean, what kind of explanation can Aaron Rodgers have for his teammates? Can he stand up in front of them and say, you know, guys, I lied earlier and I said I was uh, immunized and I was being cute. I mean, this is a pretty serious business. It's not like saying, I don't know, it's not like, um, uh, it's not like saying, yeah, I, I was once, uh, I was arrested one time or I never told anybody, but I went to jail overnight for drunk and disorderly. This is a big deal. And um, it's almost as if here's a guy saying, look, I take my medical advice from Joe Rogan. Right. But I'm also a Super Bowl winning quarterback going to the Hall of Fame. So which side of the fence do you want to sit on? What did you make from his comments Friday? Were were there any elements that were absolutely shocking or surprising? He says he's not an anti-vax flat earther and maybe he's not a flat earther, but he sure sounds like he has no interest in the vaccine. No, he's really digging in his heels here, too. And I think that's another problem is he may have reached the point where he can't go back, even if he wanted to, to say, look, I apologize. I shouldn't have been this way. I should be a good teammate. Um, he's such a marketable guy, too, Greg. Yeah. Not like people are going, oh, Aaron Rodgers, I never liked him. No, he's very likable. Very likable. And that's what makes it even that much more difficult to be able to swallow. Because this is a guy that's, that, that advertisers love, that fans love, that people that aren't even Green Bay Packer fans up until a certain point um, didn't dislike which is rare. I mean, for Minnesota Vikings fans to go, Aaron Rodgers, he's a pretty good guy. That's rare in sports because you usually hate a rival. You can't stand the person as a player uh, and you tolerate them as a human being. But Aaron Rodgers seems to be such a nice guy, which makes it that much more difficult to swallow. Mark Hepsher's our guest. His podcast, Hebsey on Sports, airs on Friday mornings. You can find it where you find your podcasts. Um, is, there, is there a way back for him reputation-wise? And do you worry as well he's emboldened other people to think as he thinks. Um, they're the more impressionable amongst us. Look to some, for some reason, Mark, athletes, actors, uh, musicians. Maybe when we're younger and impressionable, we're like, well, I believe what that guy believes. It's That's the concern. There has to be a concern here about this now. Oh, for sure. Look, if Eric Clapton came out with a number one hit record now, I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah, well, I remember all that stuff he was talking about with Cobra. They might be, for, and the same way if Aaron Rodgers would lead the, the Packers to the Super Bowl and win it, would all be forgotten? No. Uh, but I can tell you this much, it would certainly soften the blow. And they go, okay, Aaron Rodgers, look, I don't care if he, I don't care if he took horse tranquilizer as long as we win the Super Bowl. You're always going to get fans like that. But I think in history, you're going to go back. You're not going to compare Aaron Rodgers with Joe Namath. Namath ran into trouble with the NFL because he owned a bar in, in Manhattan that, uh, you know, it was a seedy kind of a place where undesirables would go. And it wasn't in the best interest of the NFL. Now, years later, the NFL doesn't have the same um, stronghold on its players. It's much more difficult for the NFL to say, all right, that's it for you, Aaron. You're suspended or, or, or you know, that type of thing. So, you know, I don't know. In history, history goes back. They're going to look at his Super Bowl win or they're going to look at the fact that he really disrupted um, an entire organization and maybe an entire league by, by you know, uh, putting the spotlight on him and the things that he wasn't doing that we maybe expected him to do. Do you think there's a number of players out there who will stay very quiet, who don't have uh, don't have the capital Aaron Rodgers has and and obviously don't have the status? Green Bay is not going to cut him over this, obviously. But would they cut a backup center? Would they cut a third string linebacker? We don't know that. We don't know whether they would or not. So I look at this and, and I think he's not wrong about a ton of protocols that NFL players and, and all of us as sports fans, we got NHL coaches wearing masks behind the bench. 
in an arena where there's 18,000 people. Someone pointed out to me CFL referees are wearing masks on the field. There's a lot of things that look really hypocritical and silly when it comes to an airborne virus. Aaron did point a few of those out. No, and you know what? He's 100% right because, I mean, if you're going to be, you know, he doesn't call himself an anti-vaxxer, but if you refuse to take the vaccine, you've got your list pretty much built up of the reasons why you don't want to do it. And like I said, there's a lot of influential people that have not gotten sick that haven't taken the virus. And so, well, you know, but look at that guy over there. He seems to be fine. But you're right. There's a lot of hypocrisy. I was at the Raptors game the other night. Mm-hmm. And I was, so what's the rule? You're allowing everyone in as long as they show that they're double vaxxed. Okay. But then you're still trying to maintain um, physical social distancing and masking. And it does seem odd that if everyone was allowed in because they're double vaxxed, now you're putting the face mask protocol in. Did Aaron Rodgers have to wear a mask when he was meeting with the media? He said no. He said, if all the media was double vaxxed, they're not going to get sick from me, so why do I have to wear my mask? And you kind of go, well, you've got a point. I, I thought on Friday, too, Mark, um, that he was way, way less likely to get suspended or even fine now. Uh, I think he explained he's been following most of the protocol. But but what would it look like now is if the NFL even gave him a game or, or gave him a nominal, doesn't mean much to him, a $50,000 fine. It would just look like the NFL was, was making it harsh because they're stifling his speech, as it were. So I didn't think it was happening. Were you surprised there's no discipline going Aaron Rodgers' way for, in essence, lying about this? I am surprised, but I, but it doesn't mean that he's automatically going to play next week, does it? I mean, they've got a, there's a week to assess the Aaron Rodgers situation. I don't know, but I tell you this much. If I'm the Green Bay Packers, I'm torn because I want to win. And I can't win with the backup, <laughs> but, you know, what am I prepared to put up with? And I think, you know, that's sort of a life lesson. Like, you know, let's say mm-hmm. somebody doesn't like their boss. Okay, fine. But what are you prepared to put up with if your boss is going to make you money? If it's going to be okay for you in the long run, how much you, and if I'm a Green Bay Packer player, I'm saying, listen, I'm not going to get that close to Aaron yeah. Rodgers, but if you can lead us to the Super Bowl, hey, you know, go for it. A I, tough call. Mark Hepsher's our guest. I got about a minute left. Tell me, how, how were you at, at Raptors games? You and I talked earlier in the summer, and we didn't even know when are the Jays coming back, when's even TFC coming back, is there going to be vaccinated sections, what are we going to do? What was the experience like for our listeners? Yeah, it was great. Uh, really enjoyable, and I think, I mean, everyone – that I ran into, you know, the, my seatmates, I guess, people sitting near us, they, everyone was very, you know, um, uh, polite, I guess, uh, probably more polite than you'd be normally. Just sort of, hey, it's great, you know, great to be back. And, you know, we were all Raptors fans. We're all basketball fans. We, we, cons- we have consideration for other people. So I, I didn't find it. I found it to be very similar. If you wouldn't have seen the face masks on people, you wouldn't know there was a pandemic or we had just gone through a pandemic. So, you know, are we back to normal? Well, with the exception of ensuring that everybody that enters the facility is double vaxxed, I would say, yeah. I mean, people are not going, oh, I, I got I, I to be careful if I'm talking to this person, if I'm too close to them or whatever. People are going about their business the way they have been for a, for a long time. So are we out of the woods? You know, when it comes to professional sports or any kind of sports, you know, I was in Fort Perry yesterday with a couple hundred, you know, minor hockey people watching a hockey game. Mm-hmm. Seemed like a normal game. People seem to be back to normal, and, and that's a good thing. Although, I mean, Aaron Rodgers might be setting the whole 
Mm. You know, the whole um, effort back, um, you know, a decade. I, I don't know. A lot of reports from Port Perry. You were screaming at the ref about a certain obstruction holding call. So that I don't. Mean, you're back. That, that, that means you're back to normal. I feel like if that's uh, if that wasn't you, <laughs> you got a very distinct scream. Uh, and and uh, you and I are loud also. So we've been told that. Well, I think. Actually, no, I was I was actually yelling at an epidemiologist <laughs> that was sitting in front of me. <laughs> that's uh, yeah. Sometimes that's uh, that's merited. To be perfectly honest, uh, I got to leave it there. Uh, have a great podcast Friday. Thanks for coming on today. Okay, thanks, Greg. Mark Hepsher joining us. Hebsey on Sports Podcast, uh, available where you get your podcast. Uh, what happened in Houston Friday night, you might have woke up Saturday and just saw a mass tragedy, a horrifying story. And if anything, we've got more clarity about what happened at this Travis Scott concert that featured Toronto's own Drake. They've already been named in lawsuits. Bottom line, crush of people. Eight people dead so far, many, many more injured. Uh, let's go down to Houston, Texas. And Zach Despart is our guest uh, who works for the Houston Chronicle. Zach, thanks very much for making the time for us uh, up here this side of, of the border. We wanted to have you on whether Drake was involved or not, but just, just a harrowing story. And your paper has been front and center doing phenomenal journalism covering this. Uh, and as I said, I, th- I feel like we've got more info on what, what did happen Friday night in the last you know, half day really than we did on Saturday and most of Sunday. Sure. And uh, thanks for having me, Greg. Yeah. What we uh, were able to report yesterday is we got a hold of the uh, festival's safety uh, report that they prepared uh, their plan to keep everybody safe during the festival it listed all these different types of procedures to do in all these different types of emergencies. It's just not clear that they follow that clearly uh, they were not successful in keeping people safe. That's why, uh, eight people died. It looks as well. Um, I'm seeing this uh, this morning, just in the last couple minutes, is that obviously, and I've seen video of it, the crowd shouting, stop the show. I would say this, though, we don't know what Travis Scott could hear. We were not sure what he could see. Uh, that is a big ask, right? Like it, it is, I, I've been at shows where even just people have fainted. And um, I know this was something more mammoth than that, but very difficult for the artist. That's going to be a real, a real blurry line, isn't it? To know what the artist could see and what he knew while the show was happening. And, and, and this, this awful thing was, was transpiring. Yeah, that's right. We don't know precisely what, Travis Scott knew about what was going on while he was performing. We know that he saw some of the people in distress uh, during the show because he had stopped a couple times and you know tried to direct uh, ambulances over to them. We do know that uh, about half hour into the show, when the Houston Fire Department declared a mass casualty event, when they had dispatched at that point a couple dozen ambulances, that the police had informed the producers of the show, Live Nation, what was going on. And they say at that point that Live Nation agreed to end the show early. What's not clear is if it actually did. Uh, the show continued for 37 more minutes after that, ended at 10.15. So far as we can tell, Travis Scott played his whole set. Um, he had Drake on even after producers knew what was going on. So we don't know what the performers knew. We do know that the producers and the promoters of the show did know what was going on at some point before the concert ended. Zach Despart is joining us from the Houston Chronicle uh, talking about the horrific tragedy that Friday's concert um, at Astro World was. Um, it, it, this is where the Houston Texans play Energy Stadium. All these people on uh, the floor on the on the what what is the field? Were they all general admission seating, or did did you know if general admission got compromised at a certain point in time, and there was just a rush towards an open section from actual seats? What was the layout when the show started? If you know, 
Yeah, good question. So uh, we're quick clarifying. Uh, it's NRG, the, the facility, it's actually next door and outside of the football stadium. So it's actually like a big, huge parking lot where they set up a stage. Um, my thing is it, it was a sold-out crowd of 50,000. Um, most, if not all, of that was general admission. Mm-hmm. And what we have heard from attendees is, is the problem of it here appeared to be when Travis Scott took the stage at 9 p.m., a crush of people um, sort of pushed against the front of the stage uh, in the general admission area. And that's when people just describe feeling trapped, seeing people get crushed, um, and the people starting to collapse that needed medical attention. Houston's been through so much, hasn't it? Um, I think about the, uh, the flooding. Uh, that, that was as the Astros were making a, a run to the World Series. It became very uh, well-known. You've been through hurricanes. Um, it, it, it has been, it, it's been rife with tragedy in the last half decade, hasn't it? Uh, it has, yeah. Between Hurricane Harvey, uh, we've had massive chemical fires. We had the Texas freeze last year, yeah. that I'm sure you recall, that killed a bunch of people. So uh, it's, a, it's a tough place to live, I will tell you that. What ends up happening uh, next? As I mentioned, we've seen uh, a couple lawsuits. Is, is it just uh, filed already against Travis Scott and Drake? Is there just more in terms of law enforcement? We don't have a sense right now, do we, about potential criminal charges? I know the police chief's been very front and center. I've seen him on TV a bunch of times through this process. Yeah, we're so early in this process. Like the medical examiner has not even confirmed the causes of death for the people who died yet. Um, I there will be many, many criminal and civil investigations um, into this. I mean, as you know, this is one of the deadliest uh, concert disasters in American history. So um, there'll be many, many, much, much more to come. I know you posted it on Twitter, and, and your conversations are private. But you asked people to direct message you if they worked. Um, you know, at at this show, are you, you know, without saying too much, are you hearing from people who have uh, anecdotal things to tell you? Uh, we are, yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we contacted all the promoters in the show. None of them want to talk. I mean, I sort of understand that. But uh, clearly, many, many security failures happened and safety failures happened. I mean, we want to talk to the people who are on the ground uh, to understand how that happened um, and figure out who to hold accountable and, and how. Zach, I really appreciate you coming on, uh, giving us the, the, the scene from down there. I know uh, this kind of work isn't easy, uh, and, and I appreciate you coming on and, and talking about what you're uh, experiencing and, and uh, your reporting with us. Thanks for doing it. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for having me. Thank, uh, Zach Despart joining us from the Houston Chronicle. It's not unlike, you know, I'm hearing from listeners saying, is this like the Radiohead stage collapse? Yes and no, that wasn't a crush and a surge. But obviously, only one person died in that. I mean, every life's valuable. Three non-fatal injuries. But there were, there did end up being charges. There didn't end up being a long legal legal proceeding here, where um, you know people didn't know who to blame. Um, the band ended up not coming back to Toronto for a lot of time because things were tied up in uh, in, in the courts and uh, the defendants. Live Nation was charged. Uh, the group that staged and serviced the concert were charged. And uh, and the promoter of of the show was charged. So there was a lot of miscalculation. It, it was deemed by the uh, by the court that the weight of the stage roof and the attachments were weren't done properly. And uh, this is this will be a totally different scenario when it comes to guardrails, guidelines, and again to get inside Travis Scott's head and know what he saw, what he didn't see. Now, you, to me, this is me. If you see an ambulance traveling through a general admission crowd. The, st- the show stops. That's all I need to see on stage. That's all I need to see is an ambulance moving through a crowd of people, which you wouldn't see at an arena show, but you'd be more likely to see at an outdoor show in a parking lot, et cetera, et cetera.
Thanks for checking out the Toronto Today podcast. Uh, live show tomorrow, of course, between 5.30 and 9 for Tuesday morning, uh, November the 9th. Great to have you in uh, then if you can catch some of the show. And don't forget, find us where you found us right now and tell your friends to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe there, rate the program there as well, and tell us what you'd like to hear more of and what we can do better. Thank you.